0: Welcome to FF Plus, a new spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion.
1: Here you will find a little bit of everything, from what's been entertaining us, to trailer reactions, industry hot topic conversation, and even film award predictions.
0: We hope you'll enjoy this addition to the Feelin' Film lineup and join us each week. Now, on to the show. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to another episode of FF+. I'm Aaron, and with me, as usual, is my best friend and co-host, Patrick. Hey, everyone. Tonight, we have a show full of reviews for you. We're going to talk about a couple of movies that are hitting theaters this week, and then we're going to take it back and discuss a documentary from about five or six years ago That is kind of in line with the material that we've been covering the last week or so on the show and really was something that honestly just spoke to our hearts at this point in our lives. And we thought it would be worthy of a good conversation and also maybe to bring some awareness to those of you who might not have heard about the story that that documentary covers. So to get us kicked off, Patrick, uh, I guess I will just jump in there and start talking about these movies that are coming out this week, if that's okay. Deep into the pool, go. Deep into the pool. Okay, well, the first one that we're going to talk about is called Triple Frontier. Now, this is a film that you and I were both kind of excited for, I believe. Is that correct? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, 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 we were. So, unfortunately, we weren't able to get a screener copy of this. We had a screening here in Seattle, so I went to see it in a theater because it is opening in theaters for a week. This is a Netflix movie. They're doing that whole put it in theaters for a week and then drop it on Netflix a week later type type uh, deal. The synopsis for this one is pretty intriguing. It goes like this. Struggling to make ends meet, former special ops soldiers reunite for a high-stakes heist. Stealing $75 from a South American drug lord. It stars an amazing cast. And frankly, this is the biggest reason why I was super excited, Patrick. It has Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Charlie Hunnam, Pedro Pascal, and Garrett Hudland. That's the group of five. I mean, that's like mind-blowingly awesome when it comes to a cast. And for it to be a Netflix movie, you're like, wow, how did they get those guys... I also have to point out, by the way, I get Garrett Hudland and Charlie Hunnam confused all the time. Like, I'll see them in movies, and I'll think that it's the other person. And so I found it pretty ironic that they were playing brothers in this movie. So I am not the only one. Yeah, I'm not the only one. I'm not it. Everybody else thinks they look like brothers, too, apparently. So this is directed by J.C. Chander, and he's made... Three films that I know of prior to this. All is Lost, which was uh, Robert Redford out at sea by himself. Really, really good movie. A Most Violent Year. I believe that had Oscar Isaac in it as well. And Margin Call. So he's got actually a pretty strong, small filmography behind him. I went into this expecting a militaristic type of heist film. So these guys, like I said, are ex-Special Ops soldiers, Green Beret types who come together, steal this money from a drug lord to better their lives. In the trailer we get kind of some of that build-up where it's talking it shows them talking about how they've been ignored by their country after coming back, you know, getting out of the service, having given so much of their lives, being shot, and what do they have to show for it? So that's the material we're dealing with here. And they're trying to get out of that rut, and they're gonna do so by doing something that is technically illegal and maybe in the ethical gray area of wrong, i.e. stealing from someone and potentially killing some people. But they're bad people, and it's drug money, so it's a lot easier to be justified. Now, what I ended up getting in this film was much different than the action movie that I assumed this might be. There's a lot of talking. And it's a lot of drama. And unfortunately for me, I didn't feel like they really fleshed the characters out well enough. I think the script suffered, or or I think the characters suffered because of a weak script rather. The movie ultimately is ending up dealing with these concepts of greed and how greed overtakes your actions, how greed comes before a fall, pride as well. Uh, there's a lot of egotistical decisions that are made, overconfidence that leads to problems for them as they end up trekking through the jungle trying to carry these millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, out of the jungle and out of South America trying to get it back to the States. I mean, what they're going after here is incredibly complicated. And the best parts of this is probably when it does super slow down and just give us some moments of camaraderie amongst the five when they're together, they're talking, they're trying to reason with one another. There's some good stuff there, but overall, it's just more of a heist drama than an action movie. I would kind of like Widows uh,
1: last year. Did you get a chance
0: to see Widows?
1: I did, uh, and I wasn't as impressed as I wanted to be with it, and I feel bad because I love the cast, and I feel like the... Netflix cast or the the cast in this movie should elevate it to kind of an Ocean's Eleven type thing and I you know it, it it disappoints me that it didn't kind of meet that expectation.
0: Yeah, I think I'm I'm torn about it. I would I'd like to see it again and I'm willing to give it another shot to see if it maybe but I don't think the I think the ceiling for it is still pretty low for me as far as getting any better simply because I just wasn't expecting. Such drama, and I didn't love the drama that I got that much. Um, but I do like seeing the cast interact together. So I was gonna,
1: yeah, I was, I was gonna ask: Did the cast kind of elevate it in terms of like just seeing them on screen and, and the chemistry? Was it good?
0: It is within
1: reason, but I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's like for some reason they just don't
0: have the screenplay or the material to work with. It feels like, and you can kind of just feel it really strongly. Okay. You're looking at them and you're thinking. You guys could be so much better than this. I do want to point out that I feel like this is a trend, though, because I've gone into at least three Netflix movies this year that have sort of either shown me a trailer or given me a synopsis that makes me think this is a genre that's going to have quite a bit of action. And every single one of them has come out with like maybe one or two big action moments and very heavily dramatized. I attribute this to budgeting and speed. Netflix is pumping out movies so fast and they have to do so on the cheap in order to continue pumping out the volume of movies that they're pumping out. So what I think I'm seeing happen here is less and less and less reliance on action and explosions. There's an example here, and this is by the most, this is the most I'm going to get to a spoiler, but like a helicopter goes down in this movie. It doesn't blow up. It just goes down, right? Like, okay. <laughs> normally, most movies, the helicopter goes down. It's gonna explode at some point, right? But it's almost like they didn't have the budget to make that explosion, and so what we get is much lower key action. And at times, it's really good, but there's just there's not enough action to like interspersed within the drama in this to keep me kind of pumping along. If that makes so,
1: sense. Yeah. And it makes me curious because my wife and I, and I'll fully admit that during the holiday season, we're the Hallmark Christmas movie people. We, she'll have it on most of the time. I'll, I'll sit in. And if it's somebody, you know, if somebody's in it that I know, like, you know, a Peyton from One Tree Hill, I will definitely sit down and, and watch it. But the movies are formulaic, but the amount, the sheer volume, Of movies that that network puts out is just mind blowing. And I almost wonder not that Netflix is going to get to this place where they have a formula for all their movies, because I think they have really a real breadth of directing and acting in of a pool there. But I do wonder if that's going to be the trend is that we won't get a big budget blockbuster because of the fact that it's Netflix.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. And Eventually, we're all going to accept that or maybe become conditioned to not expect them. But it's tough when the premise of a movie and the cast and the genre kind of signal this should be a blockbuster. Right. That's, what I, that's all I kept right. thinking was, like, I wanted to see it bigger and better than what I ended up getting. Um, but anyway, also, those Hallmark movies, they could use a lot more action, too, just for the I, record.
1: I agree. Lots more helicopter explosions. <laughs> in the midst yeah. of, you know... That kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nothing says
0: love like kissing with an explosion in the background.
1: Well, Just get Michael Bannon to direct
0: one. That'd be <laughs> great. I would definitely actually pay to see that.
1: Um <laughs> I would too. <laughs> well, Triple
0: Frontiers is, Triple Frontier, rather, is out in theaters right now as of March the 6th for that limited week-long run. It is also limited in where it's out in theaters, so you may or may not have it near you. If you do and you want to seek it out. It does look good on the big screen. It is really beautifully shot with the lush jungle scenery and stuff that they go through. I I liked that a lot. Otherwise, it will be dropping on Netflix on March 13th, and you can watch it there.
1: Speaking of limited releases, I believe your next review is a movie that I am envious of because it has not dropped anywhere close to my town, and I keep clicking Fandango movie alerts to tell me, is it here yet? Is it here yet? Is it here yet?
0: That is really disappointing because as of today in this recording, you have now officially missed out on the IMAX opportunity for now. The movie you're referring to is Apollo 11, and this is a documentary. And one of my more anticipated films of this year, the moment that I heard it existed, I got super hyped for it. Patrick got super hyped for it, and I got a chance to see it. So synopsis is simple. They say, a cinematic event, 50 years in the making, and that's pretty accurate, honestly. It says it's a look at the Apollo 11 mission to land on the moon, led by Commander Neil Armstrong and Pilot Buzz Aldrin, and that doesn't do it any kind of justice. It's directed by Todd Douglas Miller, and the score is by a man named Matt Morton, which I will talk a little bit more about later. But here's the thing, guys. The Apollo 11 mission, which we all know to be the moon landing mission which was documented pretty well last year in Damien Chazelle's film First Man.
1: Fake news. (laughs) Yeah.
0: This pretty much just disbunks anybody who ever could claim that this is fake news. Apparently, and I did not know this, there were cameras and recording crews taking footage of this event all throughout it, from well before it to all the way up to after these guys come out of their containment they were filming the launch itself, they were filming the public watching, they were filming constantly in Houston Mission Control. They were filming when they landed, they filmed on the, you know, carrier when they, you know, were transported out of the ocean and, and rescued from their um downed pod. It is unbelievable the amount of footage. And of course, the footage from space itself that is pretty famous um, with the astronauts there. What they did is they restored it in a way that is very kind of similar-ish to what Peter Jackson did in the documentary last year, They Shall Not Grow Old. That was much, much older footage, of course, from World War I, and he was colorizing it. This footage is from – 19 is it 1969? I I really hope I got that right. 68, I think. Ah, July 16th, 1969. I did. Okay. So it was already decent footage, but Patrick – There are moments in this that legitimately look like they took it today. I mean, it is, it's mind blowing how good some of the footage looks. The authenticity of the way that they captured this footage is what really, I think, debunks anybody who says the moon landing was faked. Because frankly, if it was, then our government has been wasted for 50 years because they have so much potential That is never been tapped into if they could put together this type of a fake, you know, to bring in fake thousands and 10,000s of people to fake watch a fake moon landing. I mean, there's just so much going on here that it's incredible and you're just watching it. And the word that came to mind was truly awe. I mean, we use the word awesome, which is a word that talks about, you know, having that feeling of awe of wonder of amazement this is that experience it was unlike anything i'd ever seen before in my life it was just an incredibly immersive experience much like first man the music plays a huge role that score by matt morton i don't did you get a chance to listen to it yet
1: no because it hasn't dropped on streaming media it comes out tomorrow when i guess the movie officially opens in non-imax theaters
0: okay well it is awesome. It's got like a synthy nature to it. It's almost like uh, a Michael Mann Tangerine Dream score at times. He actually recorded it with only instruments that were available in 1969. I like that. I think that's pretty cool. And there's actually some footage of him working with uh, the music and creation of the music online on his YouTube channel, if you're interested. I got to say, it's going to be hard for anything to beat this this year. You know, it's it very well may happen documentary wise. I would be shocked if anything was able to top this. It is just that transcendent of an experience. It's something that you don't get to see The One thing that I think makes it really, really work is that it's all actual footage. So we're watching the launch and we're watching them communicate in mission control with the spacecraft and we're listening to actual, restored, enhanced audio of the conversations that they're having, and it's not talking heads. There's no narration. There's no one explaining to you what's happening. It's just straight up actual audio. At times, it can almost be a little bit inaudible because they're talking fast and they're talking NASA. (laughs) So, So there's a lot of math being thrown around, and you're like, wait, what, huh? But it makes you realize like it's real. And I really, really enjoyed that. There are a couple sequences in this that I just about peed my pants. The, the launch itself, the different angles, the cinematography of the way that it was shot at the time, it, it holds up today. It's like award-worthy type cinematography. The film editing is award-worthy. The score is award-worthy. The sound mixing, sound editing are both literally award-worthy. I mean, it is phenomenal. Um, and, it, and it's very moving. It's very inspiring. And it makes me incredibly proud, honestly, to be an American and see that we were able to accomplish this.
1: So I need to ask something for our listeners that I think everyone listening right now is wondering. How many times did you see an American flag?
0: We see the American flag actually planted. We get to hear them discuss the ground situation what the, what the makeup of the ground is like and how far the flag is going into the ground. We get to see them set up and perform experiments on the moon. Things I knew nothing about. Didn't have any idea. These things actually took place. There's all kinds of like cool gadgets and things that they were doing while they were up there. It's awesome, man. It is, it is so awesome. I, I think everybody needs to go see it. Um, I, it's probably going to be one of the films that I would recommend more over the course of this entire year. There's a great quote at the end by Aldrin where he says that the reason that they did this is the insatiable curiosity of all mankind. And I love that line. And it makes me somewhat sad like that it seems that we almost don't have that anymore. Um, at least we don't as a, as a world, the way in which we used to. What was cool is a couple nights ago, there was a SpaceX launch. And for those of you that aren't aware of that, um, Elon Musk is working towards commercializing spaceflight because NASA is losing a ton of funding. And they sent an actual commercialized spaceflight up via NASA. It was like a, co- a combined effort with some some dummies into space. So there's some really cool stuff happening right now in the world of space travel and space exploration. And you just got to seek it out. It's there. And it's really cool that you can cover You can cover it. You can follow it. You can see these people on Twitter when they're at the space station. that's amazing. So if you have any curiosity at all with this type of material, if you like documentaries, if you were alive back when the moon landing took place, if you like space, if you like rockets, you got to get out and go see Apollo 11 in a theater. Even if you missed IMAX now, it's coming out in theaters as of right now for a normal standard theater run. My hope, Patrick, is that for the anniversary in July, it'll be the 50th anniversary that they re-release it in IMAX. I'm just crossing my fingers. I would say go see it now and don't, don't take that chance, but maybe you'll get a chance to go see it later in the best format too.
1: Well, I'm not kidding when I say that every day I'm checking to see if Fandango is updating me with any kind of movie times, whether it's standard IMAX, you know, tablet, whatever. And I'm not seeing it yet, so I'm hoping the same thing, that it gets to be an anniversary release as well. All right, moving from one documentary to another, this is one that we both got to see. Of course, it should be because it's on streaming media. Currently, I think it's on Amazon right now, so if you have a Prime account, you can catch it for free or for $89 or how much it is a year. Or you can just rent it or buy it because it's really good. It's from the famed director Ken Burns, who is famous for things like baseball, the Civil War, and uh, it was produced back in 2012. And it tells the story of these five black and Latino teenagers from Harlem who were wrongly convicted of raping a white woman in New York City's Central Park in 1989. If that doesn't scream intrigue, I don't know what does chronicles the Central Park jogger case, which I actually didn't know about. I was apparently just enjoying my elementary school life and didn't really get that at all. And for the first time, we get the perspective of these five teenagers as adults and how their lives were changed and upended by this, quote, miscarriage of justice. And not knowing anything about this event, I... I like this documentary because it gives me a full, fresh narrative. And the opening of the film, the title card, which is one of the effects that Kim Burns uses throughout to kind of describe what's going on to transition to different events throughout the, the story. It says, on the night of April 19th, 1989, a jogger was brutally beaten and raped in New York City's Central Park. Five teenagers, Antron McCray, Kevin Richardson, Youssef Salam, Raymond Santana, and Corey Wise were convicted of the crime. And that's how we open up. So already I've got chills, but I want to kick it to you and ask you, what did you think of it is?
0: Well, I, like you, was in elementary school and completely oblivious to any sort of crime that was happening in New York City. Apparently this was a pretty high profile case at the time, but it wasn't one that reached national news for us like O.J. did or the riots in L.A., things like that. I didn't have any knowledge of this. And frankly, the way that we came about to even covering this is we were tweeting some folks about what was it? Uh, our episode on 13th, our bonus mm-hmm. episode. Yeah. And someone's reached out to me and said, hey, Aaron, you got to go check out Central Park five. Um, oh, it also came because so Ava DuVernay directed this documentary called 13th which is we talked about on our bonus episode on patreon we actually made that free for everybody so if you go to patreon.com slash feel film you can hear us discuss that and four other films that are very similar um, we just wanted everybody to have a chance to hear that one so we did that and then right around that time we saw that Ava DuVernay had announced uh, her new four-part Netflix series that is coming May thirty first, called "When They See Us," and it's based on this case. And so somebody reached out and said, "Aaron, you need to check out this documentary. It's by Kim Burns." I was like, "Oh, Kim Burns. You know, like that's a name drop that gets your attention if you like documentaries." And I was like, "All right, well, I've never heard of this case, so sure, I'll give it a shot." And you and I both decided we would love to find out what was going on before Ava's series came out. I. Got chills, too, when it started, when I read those five names come across the screen. And over the course of just under two hours, getting to know those boys and walk through their journey, their experiences, was incredibly impactful for me in a way that I think I will probably look back and remember as a... Turning point of sorts, to be completely honest with you. So when I watched 13th, and I've seen that a couple times, the primary point of it is to show us this systematic slavery that has occurred through the use of the prison system even after emancipation happened. It was it's to expose the way that the system essentially keeps the man down. You may hear that a lot. I used to laugh and roll my eyes when I heard keeping the man down, but you know. That's what it is. This, for me, Patrick, humanized 13th and the statistics that blew me away when I saw them on the screen. Now I had faces to put to it. Now I had emotions behind it. And seeing the kind of injustice that was done to these boys, the way that... Essentially, it is a police investigation that is fabricated from the very beginning. The police make it very clear that they are going to, they they feed the boys confessions and have them turn against each other. These boys didn't even know each other when they were first arrested for this crime. And it's like, it's really depressing when you watch it and you see how these 14 to 16 year old kids are manipulated into saying that they were present and pointing the finger at the other one just to get out. They're interrogated and tortured basically for 30 hours. At a time and ultimately, even with no evidence, they go to prison while they're trying to maintain their evidence or sorry, their innocence. And it just, it hurt me, man. It hurt me. It hurt me to watch a juror interviewed one of the actual jurors that convicted them coming on screen face to the camera saying, you know, it was getting along. We were really just having problems coming to an agreement, I was getting tired of it, and I honestly just voted guilty because I wanted to get I'm gonna cry. I wanted to get out of there. I, like that's our justice system. I voted guilty because I wanted to go home.
1: Yeah, and you know, so I'm, I
0: sent this man to prison for
1: 13 years. just just It's very reminiscent of I don't want to say that art imitates life, but from 12 angry men, one of the jurors is that way. They're hot. They're ready to get to a ball game. People want to just get out. And like you, I was pretty disgusted by the whole thing. I, I was intrigued, though, by the psychology of it, how in the same way that the jurors felt when they were deliberating and wanting to get out of there. The length of time that these boys spent being interrogated. They just wanted to go home and they would do anything and say anything to get out of there. And we keep saying boys. That's what they were. They were 15 and 16-year-olds. These were not adults. And I believe two of them, and I would need to go back and watch the doc, but I believe two of them went to Rikers Island as 16-year-olds? Are you kidding me? I mean, no. Don't do, no. Rikers Island. Like, that's like the Alcatraz of today. It's just terrible. Like, it's awful. Not that most prisons are great, but you know what I'm saying. And I remember... As I was watching this, thinking, like you, this is a microcosm of what 13th talks about. It puts faces to the issues that are being talked about in both of these documentaries. But it puts it on a granular level. And it allows us to see how boots on the ground, these individuals are not only being treated, but how they're reacting to it. And honestly, if I had not had the experience of what we did last week of going through these movies and kind of reimmersing myself into the heart change that a lot of these movies helped kind of move me towards. I don't know that this documentary would have had the same effect as it did maybe five, six years ago or when it came out because I wouldn't have had that same kind of perspective. I wouldn't have had that same kind of influence or information of the world we live in. And I will say that our justice system sucks <laughs> because it reminds me that what I want to believe is good. I mean, you come out of Apollo 11 you're like, yes, I'm, I love being an American. And then we watch this and we're like, man, I don't want to be an American because it sucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's yeah. just like, what do you do with that? And I, I, I get frustrated, but I also get a little more amped up because I feel like, okay, this is definitely a problem, which I should go ahead and just be like, duh. But at the same time, I'm asking myself, what can we do about it? And I think it spurs that question on, okay, do we believe the news now? Do we believe law enforcement? Well, okay, maybe we don't, but maybe we take everything with a grain of salt, that kind of thing. And so when I, when I watched Central Park five, I started thinking, This is what my perspective needs to be, is to be more objective on everything and not just assume that one side is telling the truth. Whether it's, you know, supported by me or not, I have to take everything and I have to be that Berean church of the political world and say it's not – it may or may not be the truth. And uh, Central Park Five did this for me. It helped me kind of question that.
0: Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. And that's, that's what it did for me too, is I think it made me really just honed in on, I think, being extra careful what I jump to support. You know, when I see this on the news that X person was arrested for this and, you know, if we immediately hear somebody de- denying it, we need to give that a chance. To be heard out. You know what I mean? Jesse Smollett in that case is a great example of this. You know, it was announced that or reported that he had been the victim of a hate crime and immediately everything on Twitter and social media was all about how these hate crimes still exist. And this is awful. This, this and this. And then it comes out that maybe that's not the case. Maybe he faked it. We still don't know. I'm I'm just I mean, I'm not taking a side at this point because we don't know. There are still so many conflicting reports with that case and as a public i think we have to be like you said conscious of this and not jump to those conclusions there's a great quote at the end of the documentary and i forget who it's from one of the lawyers perhaps but he says i want us to remember what happened that day and be horrified by ourselves yeah because it really is a mirror of society so this case goes on these guys are in jail for you know 13 years I actually went and looked up an interview that was recommended by this friend of mine on Twitter of Raymond Santana. This happened in four years ago ish, I believe. And he was on this show called, um, crap, uh, combat Jack. So I believe, I believe this guy ha- has passed away at this point, unfortunately, but he's a, a hip hop podcaster. And he had Raymond Santana on his show. And I listened to this today, Patrick, a two-hour interview with Raymond. And he added a lot to this story. He talked about how they would go for parole hearings. And the first question they asked him in a parole hearing is, did you commit the crime? And every single one of these guys had decided they were going to maintain their innocence. And they would say, no, I'm innocent. And they would say, okay, we're done. And they never got parole. They had to serve their entire sentences. They were perfect in there. Many of them got degrees before that degree program was actually shut down. So during their time in prison, New York and and other politicians took away the degree program that would allow prisoners to get degrees because they wanted to switch the system more from rehabilitation to punishment. But Santana was able to get a degree. So he finally gets out after 13 years and he tries to get a job, and he said he remembered specifically the very one of the biggest ones was he was trying to get a postal job. He saw, oh, I'm going to be a mail carrier, right, trying to integrate back in society. That sounds cool. He said every job application asks you, have you committed any crimes? You say yes. They ask you what it was. You tell them what it is. They won't, they won't approve you. They won't hire you. He had to register as a sex offender because he was accused of beating and raping this woman. Oh,
1: so mad.
0: Yeah, it goes back to the document documentary we watched called Untouchable, right? Yeah. We talked about a few, a couple months ago. Yeah. So he was unable to get a job for about three months. He kept trying. I think it was three months. Maybe I have the timeline off, but he was trying very hard and he kept being honest on his job applications. Eventually, literally no one would hire him. So he turns to selling drugs. He ends up getting sent back to prison this time and a second strike out of the two strikes or three strikes law. So his punishment is much harsher, even though it's a very minimal drug charge. There's not a lot to pin on him at the time. He It was enough because he had this prior conviction. It wasn't until, like, in the middle of that sentence that they finally had this guy, Matias Reyes, which is talked about in the documentary, this, this uh, slasher, he was a murderer who was known to be a murderer at the time that this actually took place. And he amazingly ends up crossing paths with one of them in prison and ends up telling people, Hey, he's like, this guy's here for something I did. Eventually he com- he admits to it. They go back, they start checking DNA evidence against him because the DNA evidence didn't actually, you know, pin any of five because they didn't do it. It matches Reyes and they have to go through this incredibly long court battle to become exonerated and have these charges dropped once the charges are dropped for the the jogger case then his lawyer is quickly able to get him out on the drug charge because they have to retry him as a first time offender because they they'd given him a punishment based on this mandatory minimum which we talked about in 13th right these mandatory minimums and how damning they can be it is it's incredible um he today he's you know a father he said that turned his life around completely once he had this this young girl. He everything changed for him, but he was never a criminal. He grew up in prison. They all did. Um, since then, they actually had they they had a fifteen plus year battle with the city filing a lawsuit for damages. The city kept trying to settle for a smaller amount of money than what they ended up getting, wanting to brush it under the rug, never wanted to admit any kind of wrongdoing within the police department or within the press and the way that it was handled. Finally, they did get their settlement and you know what he's done with it. He's still Raymond still works to this day. He, he was on the interview or well, he said as a four years ago, He's on the interview and he was like, yeah, man, I'm going to work after, you know, tomorrow morning. Um, but he's, they've started a foundation. They are making documentaries about other, um, in incorrectly charged, uh, people. They're big, Contributors to the Innocence Project. Look that up, listeners. If you don't know what that is, it's a nonprofit, I believe, but it's an organization that specifically looks to help people get exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. And yeah, I just I very passionately was heartbroken watching this and hearing his story. Man,
1: it's it is a heartbreaker, but it's worth watching, and I think that it's fitting that Ava DuVernay is bringing us the four-part Netflix series surrounding this because it ties so well into the issues that 13th brings up. So if you guys have not seen this doc, like I mentioned before, it's on Amazon. Check it out there and uh, give us your thoughts on that. But it's it's informative to say the least, but uh, get some tissues because there are parts of it that are, are, are pretty sad. More- and get mad. Get mad. Get, get, get mad. Get your, get your billy club out too. And <laughs> well, well. Maybe. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. No, not that crazy. kind of mad.
0: You get mad and you get loud and you challenge things and, yes. and you call out the injustice when you see it. Because I think I someone actually told me they were like on Twitter, I was complaining about, I was like expressing my feelings watching this. And they said to me, yeah, it can be pretty hard when you get woke. And I was like, I've always thought that word was so stupid, frankly. And like, what does that mean to be woke? Well, I think I'm actually starting to understand what it means. Like, I do, honest to goodness, feel like my eyes have been opened to something that I just have never seen and I've never cared about or I never had to care about. And now that I see, you know, this is just five lives that were completely altered. And God, God bless these men were able to get out and actually have a chance to continue and have a normal life for or a productive life for some of their lifetime. How many hundreds and thousands of people are not? How many go into the system and get corrupted by it and never come out when they were kids? And what are the, what are the lives and the, the, you know, impacts and the you know, help What are, what are the, where are the things that they could contribute to society that we're losing because we have this ridiculously awful institutional problem with our justice system. So it's, yeah, I'm pretty yeah. pretty fired up.
1: Yeah, and these are stories that need to be told because as much as they sound repetitive, there's a little bit of eerie truth to the fact that they are repetitive, that something's not changing. So it's, uh, it's a doc worth checking out for, for a number of reasons. Well, that's all from us on this week's edition of FF+. Plus. Be sure to tune in a few days from now as we have our Captain Marvel Conversation with patrick willem so that should be a lot of fun talk to you soon
0: hey everyone thanks again for listening if you enjoyed the show we'd love to hear from you you can leave us a review on itunes or wherever you're listening these help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you
1: we also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing facebook discussion group a link to that is in the show notes or you can just search on facebook and find us that way
0: if you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat.
1: And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you.
0: Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon.
1: Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.